Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So first we want to say that we're very excited that our Ron Brownstein episode was the most downloaded interview we've done yet in over a year of doing it. Well, and it was so much fun. It was so it much was so much fun. It was fun. It got the rare... 20 exclamation point review from my husband. That was pretty. All right. All right. <laughs> she does it. Well, she actually does dole out pretty liberally, in fact, but um, but not to a pollsters episode. But we, you're going to make the Chuck Todd and Charlie Cook interviews jealous. So you guys are going to have to go back and download those and listen to them. That's episode 39 for Chuck Todd and 44 for Charlie Cook. So it was early on. Um, and they were different because it didn't do they didn't focus on where on the changing demographics as much as Ron did. That was really incredible. Um, but they did talk a lot about the polling industry and the use of polling yeah. over the years. And in that respect, they're pretty exciting. So, yep. Take a listen. Take a listen. So this week's top lines. First, says who? Polls. Some of them? No. All of them. <laughs> That's who says that Donald Trump is not having a great time in this presidential election. Um, but we'll begin this week with a tribute to our new hero, a truth teller about the polls who has earned our admiration. We'll dive into a little bit of polling around the process, uh, the process being front and center in this race right now rather than, say, issues. Um, and we'll also look at some of the things that pollsters are considering, say, about down ballot races, um, whether or not Donald Trump is burning down the House, and what should we do about someone like uh, Evan McMullen, who is running for for uh, president, uh, but might not be on the ballot in all states. Uh, and last but not least, we will say goodbye to summer vacation with a discussion of where Americans may or may not be spending their vacations, and if they even know where some very important American vacation spots actually are. As a famous candidate once said, who am I and what am I doing here? Maybe that's what people are thinking <laughs> on vacation. Well, we want to start off by really, I think, congratulating a new hero of the data journalism, of the data journalism <laughs> movement. For those of you who have not yet seen this clip, we're going to play a little audio um, of an exchange that went down on CNN on the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer last week, about the time that our episode was going up on the air. Yep. Uh, and this is an exchange between Brianna Keeler, um, a CNN anchor, and uh, Michael Cohen, who is a, a lawyer and strategist with the Trump campaign. So take a listen, and then we're going to talk about it. All right. Well, let me ask you about this. So you say you say it's not a shakeup, but you guys are down, and it makes Says sense who? that there would. Says who? Most of them. All of them? Says who? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I it, still enjoyed that, even I, after I've heard it now. Oh, I know. That's why times. I wanted to put the audio in the show, because I thought, 
this will never get old. So that she is, pause gets longer every time I listen to it. The pause is beautiful. Says who? <laughs> Says who, Margie? Says who? Polls. All of them. So yeah. I am launching on this show a periodic award that we will give out. The Brianna Keeler Award for Truth-Telling in polls and data journalism. And this week, our first recipient of yes. the Brianna Keeler Award for Truth-Telling in Polls actually will not go to – Brianna Keeler is the namesake of the award. That is an award in and of itself. It's an award in and of itself. But this week, the winner of the Brianna Keeler Award for Truth and Poll-Telling – Truth-Telling in Polls is Patrick Murray of Monmouth, who has uh, most recently become the recipient of the angry Twitter hordes accusing him of skewing his polls and such. He has retweeted a lot of his haters. Uh, I, I grabbed a couple of his tweets. Uh, <laughs> many of the ones that he was retweeting uh, are not appropriate for a family show such as this. No. You can listen to the pollsters in the car with your kids. We keep if it safe, for, safe for the little ears. If you want them to fall asleep, um, I recommend it. But I, my, one of my favorites uh, was one that said, enjoy sinking in Trump sand. What is Trump sand? Is it like quicksand? I don't know, but Patrick, it's it's it's, but it doesn't it's rhyme. really gold it's not plated. It's, it was just so random. So Patrick, we we stand with you. We stand with you and uh, enjoy your attempt to troll the trolls with your tweet from August twenty second, saying, "quote Many people are saying I'm a highly respected pollster. I don't know, but people are saying it." You know, I think you could almost do like a side season of the pollsters if we were so inclined of just pollsters reading mean tweets <laughs> down their polls, like just that only. Like that could be its own thing. So free idea, pollster spinoff if somebody wants to produce it so or many do people our did voices. tweet at us that they enjoyed my reading tweets from egg egg profile egg avatar <laughs> yeah, profile I, like that, so. I didn't get a lot of good ones this week there's so there wasn't really anything for me but, she, but patrick murray of monmouth he was sort of drawing the fire of these folks today so so i mean it's funny because i mean the all the polls thing the polling trend of what's going on in 2016 is so obvious right all the polls show trump down in some way we're going to talk who? about that <laughs> that's never gonna get old <laughs> The polls, all of them, um, that that we're not even going to talk about that part first. We're going to talk about all this process-related stuff about what's going on in the campaign because even that is now part of the polling dialogue. People worrying about the polls, people worrying about the, what's going to happen at the polls, uh, talk, polls about the campaign. That is almost front and center. We're sort of moving at a little bit more of an interesting speed than the actual race, which is now stagnant where it is. Um but one reason why we talk about all the polls, while it's important to listen to the pollsters and look at the various averages at your, at your friendly neighborhood handicapper and, and forecasters, because according to a Washington Post story, Monkey Cage blog, we're going to have John Sides from the Monkey Cage on a future episode. We just recorded it. But poll coverage spikes for uh, polls that are outside sort of the average. So when a poll result is more dramatic, people cover and talk about it more than when a poll average sort of where is just where you think it's going to be, which I guess makes sense. But it does mean that people have a little bit of a t temporary, temporarily, I guess, distorted view of where the polls are. They think the polls are potentially more volatile than they are because they're only seeing the more dramatic coverage. Um, that's for folks who are not listening to the pollsters or not looking at their various average or not listening to Brianna Keeler. We think Keeler. all the polls are interesting, yes. not just the traumatic one. Right. Some of them, all of them. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so um, so anyway, so that's what's going on with all the polls these days. But here's something that is 
you know, so people then think that some of these polls, if you're kind of doubting that the polls are real because they don't agree with what you're saying, so you're just calling them fake. That's what happened to Patrick. That's what happens to Kristen. That's what happened when I go on Fox and I just say, okay, the polls show this. I get hate tweet. I mean, the, the, the person talking about polls is blamed, even if they're not even talking about their own poll. I mean, it's getting pretty heated out there for somebody who talks about polls. But you know what's actually not real research <laughs> was fake research not that it was also didn't seem to get a lot of hate tweets but we did get a lot of clicks and likes on our facebook page is this triumph the comic dog the insult comic dog focus group with trump voters so it was real trump voters in a real facility triumph was in the back room with headphones for some reason i guess there was like you can watch it you can in a facility you can hear you don't need I've headphones i've never seen someone wear headphones in a back if room if someone's translating you know maybe they were translating yeah. into dog or something cuz if someone's <laughs> translating then you wear headphones so you can hear the translator as opposed to the group in language but that wasn't what was going on cuz this is the tr- uh, trump voters and triumph anyway um, and he was like Triumph was drinking coffee, like spitting the coffee out, and they were testing. Was he eating M and M's? I think there were M and M's. Oh, good, yeah. crucial detail. I think there was candy in the back room, yeah. And um, and they were testing real Trump. I mean, fake Trump ads for real Trump voters, and the fake Trump ads had like faked Trump's voice on them, and using such colloquial language, like I mean, it was just insane that people thought that these were real because they were so. Over the top. So this, they start off with saying, you know, but since you're going to have transgender men going into women's bathrooms, you need to have um, guns in the vending machines next to the tampons. That was like the, the that was like the you know to get you started in the to see what the air, at first level of Trump ad was like, and it just got crazier from that. That was that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And one and one guy said, like, "Well, maybe you need a baseball bat. Like, how would they get in the vending machine? Like, they were just thinking about the vending machine part. Like, oh, you just need to get something maybe chained or I don't know. Like, you're just trying to figure out how would you get the gun out of the vending machine? That was the problem that they were focusing on. And then it moved to okay, we you know the wall should be an electric fence, and uh, undocumented folks should have shock collars so we can prevent them from coming into the country. And people are like, oh right, yeah, that's not a bad idea." Um, um, and then they had an idea to lock undocumented immigrants into porta potties when they were at festivals and things, and then then send people back home with in the porta potty. I mean, I, I'm not. I sound. I feel sick, kind of saying this because it was so over the top, right? Obviously, it's over the top. It's not. A, this is a fake thing, and people believed it. Now, this was a real group. They. I saw an interview with Robert. I know I'm talking about this now, maybe more than I, we intended to, but it was, it got, I mean, it got a lot of traffic and he's like, no, these, I was amazed that this people believe lots of people real. will sit in the back room and get very like surprised at what they see respondents responding to. Right. And so, you know, presumably they signed releases, right? Obviously they would have signed a release, these respondents, because some people on our Facebook feed were like, well, no one's ever going to participate in a focus group again. But they signed releases. They even had a thing at the end where they had Trump pretend to call into the focus group. And then say, okay, and they ask people to participate and do testimonials for ads supporting all these policies. And they're like, I think Trump's idea about, you know, sending people in porta potties is a really good one. And so, I mean, they were clearly on board. Yeah. They probably just went through a lot of participants to find the ones that they thought were most likely to say that. I don't know how the production went behind the scenes, but we're going to link to it in the show notes. Watch it if you dare. It is troubling, it's not real research. But they are real people who are real Trump voters, and they were not real proposals. You know, to, to Trump's credit. At this point. To, at right. this point. <laughs> you better knock on wood real fast, Margie. I know. What if he's like, that's a good idea. 
Well, so the the other big thing that's been going on uh, over the last week in the campaign from a process perspective, again, has been the elevation of Kellyanne Conway, um, Republican pollster, to the role of campaign manager for Donald Trump. This is a a big moment for pollsters. We're breaking that cross-tab glass ceiling. That's right. Now you too can be a pollster and one day grow up to be a campaign manager. That's right. And is it the first woman to run a Republican presidential campaign? Uh. For a nominee, so it's kind of like tricky. In 2008, Beth Myers was the campaign manager for Mitt Romney, but he did not win the nomination that year. Ah. Then in 2012, she was like his lead, you know, one of his lead strategists. But the title of campaign manager was technically held by Matt Rhodes. Um, because he's somebody who's like very good at kind of like the nuts and bolts and mechanics of how right. you build a campaign machine. So very different than I think the kind of a chief strategist. It depends on what you think the campaign manager type job description should right. be. In this case, it's not clear that Kellyanne is necessarily the COO. COO are the trains person. running on time person. She is the like chief strategist. What's our message type thing. Which is different. So I right. think technically this is the first time Kelly, uh, first time a woman has run, has held the title of campaign manager for a Republican presidential nominee. I think that's technically correct. Um, but we talked last week on the show, you know, we referenced how there are a variety of other pollsters within the campaign, how you had Tony Fabrizio who was somebody when he joined the Trump campaign, uh, there was that quote in that article that Margie loves referencing where they said, you know, Tony Fabrizio, he's the one where if he's a doctor, he says, you're going to die. <laughs> the poor person who gave that quote. The poor person who like, gave that I quote. I took that quote back. I asked him to take it. I did. Away. I, Can those ladies please stop using that? Well, see, so it wound up being, I don't want to say prophetic, but, um, you know, we were talking last week about how that's supposed to be the role of the pollster, right? That you're supposed to give your campaign an accurate assessment of what's going on, that you're supposed to be the one that says, you've only got three months to live. Or like, this is, you need to go do X, Y, and Z to cure yourself. And you, you don't sugarcoat it, right? But I feel like I now need to add a caveat to all of that. Because of what has unfolded with the Trump campaign, it adds, I think, a valuable other layer. So for our listeners who are not in the polling industry, I, I hope this sort of peels back the curtain for you a little bit on the struggle that you have as a pollster. You, if you and why being the you're going to die pollster does sometimes present a problem just at a business level because people sometimes like to shoot the messenger. People don't like bad news. Your job is to be honest with your candidate. But sometimes there's something to be said for if we're going to go with the doctor analogy, you know, mm-hmm. bedside manner. The You know, can you deliver bad news in a way that makes someone feel comforted? Um, and so there was an article that came out about the shakeup in the Trump campaign. I believe the Huffington Post did this article um, that said, you know, Kellyanne has has been elevated in part because she understands candidate management very well. She understands how to talk to Trump in a way that gets him to actually listen. And that this is, I guess, sort of controversial internally because some of that means I don't want to, I guess, maybe downplaying bad news or putting a, a positive spin on bad news. So like, yeah, you may be down in these polls, but look, here are all these voters that aren't getting picked up that you could win, or here's this opportunity, or here's why Hillary's numbers are really soft. And that by having that kinder, friendlier, gentler message as a pollster, that has enabled her to gain Trump's trust very quickly and earn, his, you know, have his ear 
while if you are the person that comes in and says, Donald, you're, you're going to die, die, then like he doesn't want to hear that. And then you sort of get pushed out of the room. So this and he is, can't hear your, your bad news. He yeah. can't hear the bad news. So, so this, is the, this is the dilemma, right? You don't want to be the pollster that's giving your client bad information. But you also do need to have the people skills and the understanding of how to get your client to internalize the the reality and act on it. And does that sometimes involve meeting, putting a happy face on something that does not really have much of a way to put a happy face on it? So I, I just thought, given that we had last week talked about the importance, the role of the pollster, and the need of, for a pollster to be completely accurate, and yeah, some, you got you to be the person that says you're going to die – well, that on the Trump campaign, we now have an example of where that might not always be the approach that keeps you at the table. Now, I don't know. I, I do not have any special information about right. the internal goings on of the Trump campaign. So, But this is just what I'm reading in these reports from Huffington Post, et cetera, is that the, the people management skills of a pollster is in some ways just as important as the analytic skills when it comes to – earning a candidate's trust. Right. And, you know, what's your goal, right? Is your goal to get the cam- candidate to adjust something that they're doing? So you want to gain their trust by maybe cushioning the blow of bad news? Is your goal to get hired and, you know, going to work for folks who are candidates? Let's leave aside the situation with Trump. But, you know, you're t- sometimes you're pitching candidates who've been very successful in their businesses and they're at the top of their game or and they're used to people saying yes to them and maybe they don't want someone to come in and tell them them, look, what you're doing is wrong. When they've been a success in a variety of other businesses, they don't always want to hear that. And you don't know, you know, some people, their default is, is giving them kind of a good view on the news. And then the other piece of this is, uh, you know, how do you behave and what do you say externally, right? Yeah. So that's where being a pollster who goes on television a lot for, to support, to talk about the campaign that they're working on, they're presenting invariably, no matter what they're doing internally, what they're saying externally, for sure is more of go, going through rose-colored glasses. They're yeah, not going to give an, an inch. expectation that you're on the team. Yes. And so your actions on air need to be supporting the team. But sometimes the reality of the data Putting that out there does not really support the team. And so what do you do as a pollster in that situation? You find a good way to say it. Like I heard Kellyanne the other day say, it's okay. that It's good that we're a little bit behind because that forces us to work harder or something like that. And, uh, you know, this is not to disparage her. That's exactly what she should say. That's her job. It, it's a little bit different than being a pollster asked to go on television and talk about what's going on that day when that's – This is the beauty of listening to the pollsters is Margie <laughs> – Hey, we're doing this for free. You we're get doing our, this for free. You get our free opinion. <laughs> we but, will tell you you're we'll, going to die. We're going to tell you you're going to die. But um, so, you know, so it's a little bit different. And and that's what all the pollsters who work for a presidential campaign and go on television talk about that campaign do. That's not Kellyanne specific. They Everybody does that. And that's what they should do. That's their job. But since it's a little bit different than being a campaign spokesperson who for sure that's their job internally and externally, that's, you know, that's what they say. That's their job. Um, it is sometimes a little bit different when a pollster goes on television to be on message for the campaign, even if that means saying things are good, um, the measures where things are not good. Yeah. And I think the, the question here then, and you know, going off of this Huffington Post reporting is, it's one thing if you're the pollster and you're giving that sort of sunny side up message on the air, but then internally you're like, hey guys, we're going to die. I said you're going to be okay out there, but... I don't know. Or internally, I mean, this from this Huffington Post report, you know, it has 
it, it's reporting, you know, that Kellyanne both internally and externally is is now very bullish on this prospect that there is this hidden Trump vote that's not being captured in the polls and they're going to go find it. And I mean, there are real there are questions about whether that hidden Trump vote, to what extent it exists. Um, again, I, I, I don't like the way that, you know, when people are questioning the polls that they're getting labeled these days as like, well, you're being a poll truther. You're be, you know, that's, I think you should be able to criticize the polls. And I think you should be able to say maybe something's not quite right here. And I think you should be able, I mean, that's important for scientific inquiry. That's important. If, if everybody just sort of blindly trusts things without really rigorously vetting them and proposing alternate theories of what else could be happening, what could we be missing, then you kind of, you can miss like a black swan event or something. Um, which, by the way, is fundamentally different than saying, oh, there was a long line outside of a Trump rally. Therefore, that is better than a poll. That's, again, I'm not a poll truther. I trust these polls. But I, I don't think that it is wrong for someone to raise questions and say, maybe we are missing some people. I don't know. That's not on its face invalid. I do think, I wonder how well served a campaign would be if they're down by six, seven, eight points in the polls, but they're being told, oh, no, 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 that's just polling bias. Because that, to me, that's a that's a big margin. Well, there, I mean, that's, then this is the last piece on this, which is ultimately in the long run, you don't tell, you don't do your client a service, a good service by saying, you're going to live, you're cured, and then they die, right? That's like, or, not to be overly no, blunt about you know, this. But- you know what the way you can cure this is? If you go on a diet – of ice cream and potato chips. That's how we're going to fix it. Sure, yes, you've got a cold, but I am telling you, Rocky Road and some ruffles and you are going to be right as rain. Like, yeah. actually, now that, that is really good, 100% actually. what I'm having for lunch. <laughs> That sounds I'm excellent. I'm going to that CVS across the street. I'm I, they could some. hook you up. They could hook you up. Um, right. So, I mean, telling, you know, telling somebody you're going to win when they are not they will find out so that they don't win. And then, you know, then that puts your reputation a lot. And, and again, this is not, doesn't mean we, we don't have any idea of what Kellyanne's saying. And I don't think she would say that internally either. Um, but it, there is, there isn't an incentive to, I mean, there is, I guess, in the short term, but it's not very smart to tell a client and a candidate that you're going to do better than they actually are. But when, you know, when they're going to find out and then you look like you, right. then and, the well, jig is up. And look, this is not just, a phenomenon that is unique to polling. I mean, I, I assume if you talk to people who are in the personal training world that, you know, they struggle if you're too hard on your client and you're like, no, 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 you need to stop eating the Rocky Road and Ruffles and you need to go run eight miles tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. that like you might lose some clients who are like, no, I want the personal trainer who tells me it's okay that I go for like a brisk walk down to Starbucks and I'm good. Right. You know, I, I, I'm sure there are countless professions where there is this dilemma between like – if you're too tough and too honest, do you lose out on business? Do you right. lose out on influence? It's just really fascinating to me that this thing, which being in the polling world for over a decade has always – I've always wondered about and is always sort of a part of my consciousness and running my business and just a thing that I think about is now like front and center in the presidential campaign. Yeah. I know. It's a and big time for polling, man. I know. I know. It's a good thing that uh, there's a podcast devoted, the only one devoted to public opinion <laughs> in America. So, but meanwhile, people are actually following along, it seems, this narrative about the Trump campaign. So, morning, no, this is YouGov. Sorry. YouGov has been tracking this for the last few weeks about whether you think the Donald Trump campaign is well managed or poorly run. And 
earlier in July or mid to late July, a majority said, well, it's poorly run now. About two-thirds say it's poorly run. So that's had a boost. And a big shift has come because Republicans have now changed their view. Yeah. You had back uh, in you know, late July, sort of right around – uh, right around the time of the conventions, you had 62% who said, oh, Donald Trump's campaign is well-managed. And fast forward to August, and all of a sudden it gets pretty much even, uh, where the same number of Republicans are saying that it's well-managed as are saying that it's poorly run. So he's started to have his own party raising doubts about whether he is as effective an executive at the art of running a political campaign as perhaps was billed. Yeah, and it, it looks like, although I have to say this table is not totally clear, there's a, you know, also from YouGov, they ask how much does a presidential candidate's ability to manage his or her campaign affect your view of that candidate? This is among Republicans. Yeah, for those who say that they it matters a great deal or at least a moderate amount, if you're paying attention to process, uh, you are oh, – yeah, yes, if you're, you're right. paying attention to process, you are now – less likely to say you support Trump. Process-focused people uh, among Republicans, 77% of process-focused Republicans liked Trump. That has fallen to 70% who are voting for him. Whereas if you don't care about process, then you still like him and you still like him him an awful lot. Yeah. So I don't know if if we can apply Mm – causality there but it is nonetheless interesting and it's interesting the fact that these questions are even being asked yeah. is just a sign of how important some of well, this stuff and is. the other thing that is related to this whole polling is the are the polls accurate is the system rigged is whether or not this election is going to be viewed as valid at the end so i was on this week with george stephanopoulos on sunday and matt dowd was on the panel matt is the sort of chief political analyst for abc and my good buddy jamal simmons oh yes and jamal was right and jamal was right next to me on the panel it was a fun panel we sort of just took the reins away from george and we're just yakking it up for you know a good 12 minutes that's good it was good times and kellyanne was on the show passed by her in the green room we were like ships passing in the yeah, night this week was- made big news that was where everything was happening it was well yep yeah i mean it was uh it was a good it was a good good sunday show <laughs> i'm a little good. i'm not you know i'm i know i'm biased because i'm i'm an <laughs> no, abc that was good. That was good. contributor but uh but one of the, the things that he said at the end of the panel that just sort of like it ground this like depressing halt and everybody was like oh god and then the panel ended was that dad said look no matter how you slice it even if trump loses and loses by a lot you're still going to have tens of millions of people that will have cast ballots for him and perhaps a large number of them think he deserves to win and is only being kept out of the white house due to the rigging of the media or outright voter fraud and so what do we as a nation do about the fact that there will be tens of millions of people who feel absolutely cheated and feel that the presidential election is invalid. And so we have a little bit of polling here from Gallup, um, taking a look at things like support for various election law policies um, and and I think concerns about voter fraud. So for me, the most interesting uh, poll question that we have up here is concerns about are people worried that votes are being cast by people who are not eligible to vote or are people worried about people who are supposed to be allowed to vote being denied the right to do so. And this is an interesting sort of partisan divide. For for Republicans, the much bigger concern, 52% think that it is a major problem that people are voting who are not supposed to be voting. Yeah, that's really high. 52% think that there are votes that are being cast by people who do not or should not have the right to vote. And I Um, said a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, oh, I think it's just people think that like the 
political system writ large is rigged, less than people stuffing ballots and stuff. But maybe. Yeah, I mean, 36% of all Americans think that there are votes being cast by people who are not eligible to vote. Yes, it's 32% then also think that there's a problem where people who should have the right to vote are showing up at the polls and are being denied the right to do so. They're being prohibited from doing so by other barriers. They're, you know, that there are things that are preventing eligible voters from from turning out. And there you have 46 percent of non-whites who believe that. Right. So this is one where for for Democrats, for non-whites, this is the bigger concern rather than people casting ballots fraudulently. For them, the biggest concern is that people who should be casting legitimate ballots are being unfairly prevented from doing so. And so this, I think, really tells the story of when at the end of this election, if you have cries of, of voter fraud versus voter suppression, where will this are there people that will be able to say, no, 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 Hillary Clinton didn't deserve to win because all of these people voted who shouldn't have had the right to vote? And that's not fair. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a real concern. I know this is no joke, guys. I mean, even Pew found a very similar finding in a, at a similar moment. Um, just 11 percent of Trump supporters are very confident in the accurate ca- vote count in the U.S. I mean, that's pretty yeah, only 38 percent. For Clinton voters, it's much higher. Incredible. 67 percent believe that their vote will be accurately counted. Um, when they then broaden it out to just say sort of voters across the country, yeah, only 11 percent think that voters across the country – only 11 percent of Trump supporters think that voters across the country will be very accurately counted. And it's less than half that think it's very or somewhat. You have a majority that say – I'm not too confident or I'm not at all confident that this is going to be an accurately counted election. At least Whereas, they're a little more confident that their own vote will be. They're accurate. a little more confident that their own vote. But still, I mean, that that's even if they think their own vote went well, if they think that this election at a broad level was not accurately counted, that's a major. That's 50 percent. That's half of Trump supporters who who at this point have already sort of decided that they think this election is is rigged, not just oh, the media likes Clinton better, but like outright incorrect tabulation of the votes. And these numbers are worse if you look at the aggregate. So the aggregate includes Clinton supporters who are very confident that their votes and the votes across America will be counted. But if you take the aggregate across the country, the numbers are worse than in past elections. So this isn't just, I mean, the other argument here would be, well, people are just like mad and want to think that their votes aren't going to count. It's just sort of reflecting their strong partisan identity, just like some people are kind of rounding up when uh, they think about Obama not being a citizen. They don't really think that. They just kind of enjoy saying, yes, that was a theory with, you know, some of these, some polls that will show kind of mixed views on things that, you know, surely people don't think this way. But if you look at the aggregate, it's not, it's, it's fewer, fewer people now, about half are very um, confident that their vote will be accurately counted now compared to 57 percent in 2008 and 62 percent in 2004. Yes, so, this is not the norm. This right. is It's not like, well, every election people think things are kind of squirrely. I mean, this is a unique and pretty scary moment. And this is 2004. That's, you know, the next presidential election after we had a big hoopla over votes being counted. So it was higher than in that next presidential election than it is right now. So that's worrying, worrying stuff. And I don't know how that's going to change because if Trump is going to continue to say that, then... And if the polls stay the way they are, it still looks as though Trump has a very, very, very steep uphill road uh, that he will have to climb in order to win the presidency. Uh, so diving now into the 
all of the polls that show Trump down. Uh, a quick overview. We've got uh, at the moment, Trump is still down by seven points in the national polling average in the two way ballot test, uh, which means him versus Hillary Clinton alone. Then you have what we are calling the three way ballot test, which is Clinton, Trump, Johnson. And then there's undecided and other are presented as options. Um in that situation, Trump is still down by about seven points. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, I went to try to look and see if any pollsters have started asking um, what we, I guess, could call the five-way ballot test. Clinton, Trump, Johnson, Stein, McMullen. You do kind of want to replicate to the extent possible what people are going to see when they walk into a voting booth, um, the choice that will be before them. What's tr- tough and what will be interesting to see how pollsters try to navigate is do you include McMullen or not? Right. He's only on the ballot in a couple states. He's only on the ballot in a couple states. So are you better off, you know, putting it into the programming that his name is only read aloud to respondents who are in states where he's on the ballot? Right. Programmer says, uh. Programmer says, uh. Plus then, you know, in in the end, when you aggregate up your ballot, you're going to show maybe diminished support where in those states where he is running, it's higher. So you get kind of a squirrely picture. So what do you do as a pollster if you're doing a national ballot when it comes to McMullen? I think that's a, I don't think I don't know what the right answer is, but that's a question that popped into my mind when I was trying to figure out how he's polling. Nationally. I mean, I guess what you'd have to do is you'd have to do two ballot tests, right? You'd have to do one. That's the three way. I don't know if Stein is on the ballot in all states. I don't know either. And it was hard for mm. me. Yeah, that's there's not a ton of data there. Don't send us angry tweet Stein, our Stein supporter listeners, <laughs> if you're out there. Um, that probably is what's happening, right? And do you, you know, do you put your thumb on the scale for them if you boost them by asking them when they're not on the ballot or are you in fact holding them down by Yeah, these are these are tough questions that I don't know have exactly correct there's not like a right answer and then, oh, well, I'm going to go do the wrong thing because I want to put my thumb on the scale. I think these are legitimate questions. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the one – there were a couple outliers recently. So one, there was Ipsos Reuters, which showed uh, Clinton plus 12 over Trump. That came out, I think, this morning or last night. But then it also, I think, had the margin at only two points in Florida. Somebody tweeted at us like, I'm not a polling truther, but doesn't this seem fishy? Yeah. Which I haven't dug into it enough to know to diagnose or assess the fishiness or non-fishiness of the situation. I don't know. And then LA Times has been showing a more narrow margin for, uh, and at times even close to tide. Um, that poll is done a little bit differently than others. It's got a panel. Um, David Rothschild, who Kristen interviewed while she was at APOR, he so he's been one of our previous guests, wrote a whole piece saying. That while innovative, it's probably not reliable, the methodology of the L.A. Times poll. So we'll direct you to that so you can learn more a little bit about that. But Trump loves it. He has tweeted about it. Um, I think the bottom line is still the polls taken together show very clearly. Yeah, the, the, the theoretical advantage of the way this L.A. Times poll works is that you've got a single pool of people to which you are constantly going back. So, you know, there were some studies that showed that part of the reason why you had Mitt Romney spiking in the the public polls in 2012 uh, when in actuality, if you were doing polling using analytics, you showed that the race was pretty stable was because after Romney did really great in that debate, suddenly Romney fans were 
pumped to pick up the phone and tell pollsters. Right. Um, whereas, you know, oh, I love Mitt Romney. Whereas if you just have a, a, a single poll, a pool of people, you can resample and resample and resample and see if p- individuals are changing their minds over time, a longitudinal study. Um, we're going to have an interview coming out on Monday with John Sides where we talk to him a little bit about the work that he did in The Gamble. Um, that was a little bit different. It was it was re-interviewing people, but it wasn't just going back to the exact same pool of 3,000 and some people, right. like the LA Times poll. But the advantage in theory is that instead of being worried, oh, did I just pull a, a weird group of people, you can see, oh, okay, I called Kristen last month and she was a Clinton supporter. And then I called her three weeks later and she's now changed her mind and she's supporting McMullen. Or then I sampled her three weeks later and no, she's changed her mind and she's now on the Trump train. I mean, you can you can see how individuals change, which yeah. is interesting. And, and that's, you know, that mirrors reality. I mean, I'm, I've done focus groups throughout this election cycle where, you know, you recruit them. You're like, OK, we have a good mix of, you know, these people and these people. And then you rescreen them or you talk to them when they get in the group. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> oh, I had that happen last week. You said you were- I did a focus group of base Republicans and there was a guy in the group who was like, super liberal and i'm looking at the rescreener or the the grid that's in front of me as a moderator and i'm like how did this guy get in here right and they you literally had to answer like eight different questions to verify that you are a conservative at least somewhat are very conservative that you consistently vote for republicans that you're leaning for trump and i'm like this guy in no way shape or form what was he telling this focus i don't know people change their minds but i mean it happens periodically yeah it happens but i mean this was in the primary so it was very easy to recruit someone who is a rubio supporter and then all of a sudden they're you know Kasich or trump supporter that kind of stuff happened all the time and there was just you know there's nothing you could do i mean you can't you know can't prevent people from changing their mind and being a little bit more on the fence than they were a couple weeks ago the other bit of one bit of silver lining in uh, the national polling before we get to the states is a poll done of military households by SurveyMonkey and NBC that not surprisingly showed, I guess, you know, it's a little surprising given the debate over how Trump treated the Khan family uh, at, during the Democratic convention, but um, Trump doing better with military families, particularly military men. So he had, you know, it's almost you know, 20 point advantage among military men in military households, although Clinton leads among military women. And they have, we'll link to it in the show notes. A lot of that is driven by race. So among whites, Trump's doing very well. Among various kinds of non-white military members, Clinton does well. But I guess, you know, maybe he's right that veterans do support him well, despite I mean, his the various way you'd, veterans. The way you'd pitfalls. really assess it would be comparing and contrasting his performance with veterans compared to, say, how did Mitt Romney perform with veterans four years ago? That would be the interesting gauge of if this has hurt him with this this group or not. Yeah. So now looking back into the states where, of course, uh, my favorite thing to do, because this is where the presidential election will be won or lost, as well as the House and the Senate. Um, in the states this week, we have polls coming out in Florida. St. Leo University's poll has Clinton up by 14. In Virginia, this morning, Roanoke College poll came out, has Clinton up by 16. 14 and 16. Those are mind-boggling margins. I mean, that's insane. It's I mean, insane. Yeah. Uh, in I mean, Ohio. Being t- I mean, oh, well, yeah. So th- then in, in Ohio, so Monmouth, again, the Brianna Keeler Award for Truth and <laughs> Truth Telling and Polling uh, Award winner, Monmouth Poll. Um, Ohio has, uh, they have Clinton up by four. And remember, Ohio is a necessary but not sufficient condition for Trump to win realistically any map you put together 
You've kind of got to give Trump Ohio at this point, given the other places where he's down so far. And then Missouri, a state we have not talked about yet. Monmouth has Trump up there only by one. And that's important because that then flags you've got a down ballot alert going on. Um, Missouri is one of those Senate races that's not really on the big radar. It's not one of the, you know, 10 most vulnerable Republicans. But there they've only got um, Roy Blunt, the incumbent Republican senator, up by five, which is still better than being down. But gosh, in this environment. And Democrats love Jason Kander. I mean, Democrats in Missouri, I've done quite a bit of Missouri. They really like him as a recruit. They're pretty excited about him. And Missouri has been, you know, red, just clear. Red. I mean, there was years ago when I first started in this business, Missouri was a bellwether swing state. That has not been true for a really long time. It has been red. It has been predictably red in presidential races. I remember working there when Democrats were pulling out in presidential races pretty early on in the cycle before you get to November. It meant that they had just written that off and they were moving on, moving the circus was moving to a different town, um, even as down ballots can be successful for uh, Democrats. So the fact that Trump is essentially tied here is big news. And, you know, what it means is it means if, you know, some of these states come online for Clinton, it, you know, he's got to pick it up someplace else. And it, whatever patterns are at work in Missouri are also at work in Georgia and North Carolina and Iowa and Ohio and all these other states. So um, so it's clearly – and South Carolina, the Feldman group, Diane Feldman, who we should have on the show. She's a Democratic pollster, shows Clinton and Trump tied. South Carolina. Yeah. I mean – so the map is the map is just crazy. The map is crazy. Uh, who knows if it's going to stay like this? If it's going to tighten? Let's assume it's going to tighten. Will it flip the other way? I, I don't know. That would be that would be unprecedented. Blue but South could. Carolina would be that would be like the the GOP apocalypse. It'd be very interesting times. Uh, so then we, this obviously has implications further down the ballot, and I, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking not just about the Senate but about the House, which we have not covered so much on this show. Um, very briefly, just taking a look at the two, I've got Larry Sabato's map for his predictions about the U.S. Senate. Right now, he's got Wisconsin, which is uh, incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson, and Illinois, incumbent Republican Senator Mark Kirk, in the those seats are likely to be gone category. Um, and uh, w which for uh, Charlie Cook, the Cook political report for those ratings, um, at the moment still has uh, his toss-up races are Rubio in Florida, Kirk in Illinois that I just mentioned, um, Johnson in Wisconsin that I just mentioned, Toomey in Pennsylvania, Portman in Ohio, Burr in North Carolina, Ayotte in New Hampshire. Again, Burr has now popped onto the radar because North Carolina has so consistently in so many polls become a blue state, a Clinton state. Um, but you've also got McCain and, and, as we mentioned before, Senator Blunt in the lean Republican but not likely or solid Republican category. And here in the likely are but still kind of – I mean – if the wave is huge category, Murkowski in Alaska, Isaacson in Georgia, and Grassley in Iowa are not in the solid R category. And really for Republicans, the only states that they could pick up from the Democrats, Nevada, which is currently held by uh, Majority Leader or Minority Leader Reid, he's retiring. Um, and then Bennett in Colorado is it. kind of, but that's not. You're not getting that one. I don't. Yeah. No, because <laughs> I mean the person that the Republicans did not want got the nomination. So at, at this point, the the odds that Republicans hang on to the Senate, uh, it's I mean, it is scary. It's got to be scary times to be 
you know, NRSC, your job is to hold on to the Senate because there are just so many pieces in play. It's not like you've just got three or four seats to watch out for. You've, I mean, this could bleed badly down into, again, weird places like Georgia if it gets really, really, really ugly. Right. Um, and then this also matters for the House. So, uh, you know, in the Cook Political Report, if you take all of their toss-ups and lean Republican races, so you lose all of those, um, you know, if everything goes south, uh, you know, at, at that House level there, you see 33 seats flip. So at the House level, you know, they've got folks like uh, Carlos Curbelo in uh, Florida, Bob Dold in Illinois. Um, you've got uh, Mia Love in Utah, Will Hurd in Texas. And a lot of these folks, again, are, are sort of younger or in some cases more moderate members. They're like the bright future of the GOP type folks. Um, they are all in scary, scary, scary seats. Um, so you've got the potential for, even if you're just thinking, if all of the toss-ups break badly, if all of the, the seats that are kind of lean Republican break badly, you lose 33. So if you subtract those 33, yes, that dips you below the 218, that flips the House. But you've really got to kind of run the table on all those House races. What I think is the bigger issue is if you lose less than 33, but but you lose a sizable number, then the Freedom Caucus, which at the moment I believe has about 42 members, becomes a bigger slice of a shrinking pie. And it becomes even harder to manage the Republican conference. Because now if you're Speaker Ryan, imagine. you can't lose, you know, if you have a big majority, you can afford to lose a handful of these, the Freedom Caucus folks who don't want to take a vote on some kind of a compromise bill or something. And you can still move stuff through the House. But if you lose the Mia Loves of the world and the Bob Dolds and the Carlos Corbelos, then all of a sudden the Freedom Caucus gets more powerful. And there have been quotes. I think there was one member of the Freedom Caucus who on the record a week or two ago was like, yeah, I kind of don't care that much if we lose some of these middle Republicans because it makes us it gives us more leverage. Like, oh, my gosh, you're, you're like <laughs> rooting leverage you for want. members you... of your own party to lose. This is crazy. So this is just bear in mind, you know, there is so much discussion about what are the implications? Could the House flip? I think the bigger deal is not as does the House flip, but does the Freedom Caucus get more power because down ballot you've got so many of these vulner vulnerable Republicans who could get washed out. Now, one of the things that I did at the moment, the generic ballot, which is the question you ask, um, if the election were held today, would you support the Republican or Democratic candidate for Congress? So you don't put the name in there. You're just saying Republican or Democrat because you're fielding it across the country and programming challenges would be too hard. Right. Um, Right now, it shows Democrats with a 4.6 point advantage in the polling average on, on the generic ballot. So what does that mean in context? So in 2006, when Democrats wiped out Republicans, Nancy Pelosi becomes speaker, they pick up 31 seats. In that election, the generic ballot advantage they had was D plus 11.5. So much bigger than what you're looking at now. In 2008, when you had the Obama wave, you saw Democrats pick up another 21 seats. Um, at that point, Nancy Pelosi has a huge 257 to 178 majority. In that one, the generic ballot was plus nine. Plus nine, another big wave for Democrats. In 2010, the wave flips back the other way. And you have Republicans plus 9.4 their Republicans pick up 63 seats. So the tide washes back the entirely the other way. All of those Democratic gains made in 2006, 2008 get wiped out. 
there again are plus 9.4. In 2012, you have a dead heat in the poll. Dems pick up eight. It's a it's a presidential year. And then in 2014, a great election for Republicans. The polling average was R plus 2.3. So Republicans up by a small margin. There they picked up 14 points or 14 seats. So what does that all mean? That was a lot of numbers. I apologize. But what I think that all means is we don't quite know where the tipping point is where all of a sudden stuff starts going real wrong. Can you sustain your majority with a generic ballot where you're down by three? Sure, maybe you can. Can you sustain your majority when you're in a, dem- a generic ballot that's where you're down by nine? Nope, doesn't look like you can. So where is the threshold? And if Trump has pulled these House races to where the generic House ballot is D plus five, D plus six, D plus seven, is that across the threshold where these bubble seats all start to go blue? Yeah, I, I, there have been times in this average where the generic ballot's actually been, a, I think, a little bit larger plus D advantage over the last few weeks. So it could very easily bump up a little bit. I mean, the other thing to look at, too, is the House races that are in some of these battleground Senate and battleground presidential states. So, for example, Mike Kaufman is a Republican-held toss-up seat. It's a Colorado 6. He has run an ad, I believe, where he's trying to distance himself from Trump, even though he said quite a bit on the record not distancing himself from Trump. So it's one of those, you know, where are they exactly on Trump, right? And if Colorado... You know, maybe Colorado ends up not being in play anymore at the presidential race. Maybe people decide that Bennett has locked it up in the Senate race. And then maybe Kaufman is on his own to kind of figure out how to talk about this. Or maybe Colorado stays in play as a battleground presidential race. Michael Bennett's still part of the, you know, Republican plan to make sure they're, you know, they can try and pick off a seat on the other side to help stem some of the losses they may have on their held seats. Who knows, right? We don't know how this is all going to play out. But some of these some of these congressional districts are going to be in the middle of very, very crowded political environments where you may have Trump on the air, you may have Clinton talking about Trump. How is that going to hurt congressional races in Florida, congressional races in Nevada, Arizona, um, there are quite a few, you know, there are three, at least three Arizona seats on this, you know, on this House list. And the other piece is that there are only about 50 some odd, just slightly over 50 congressional races on this list of things that are vaguely in play. This list used to be, you know, back in other years, 80 to 120 or so congressional districts are up in the air. Right now it's, you know, just a few. So the bat- the battleground is very, very narrow. And some of these places are just going to be completely swamped with everybody interested in House races and Senate and presidential, all making people crazy when they watch television. <laughs> That's what's coming if you live in some of these places. Well, election night is certainly going to be a busy one. Um, but before we get to election night... We still have to get through the fall, and it's not fall yet because it's still summer. But we can tell that summer is ending because I walked outside today to walk here to tape this show with Margie, and I thought, gosh, it's so nice outside, which means the end is near for summer. I know. Winter's I, coming. I know. Winter's coming. And so if you sad. are still trying to fit in a summer vacation, we have a little bit of polling here about what folks think about uh, various summer vacation destinations, and specifically, how many of them even know where some of these places are? So this is from Condé Nast Traveler. Um, It's a good 
travel travel magazine, and they asked some questions about, well, do you know where some of these places are? And so some things like the White House, 97% of Americans knew that the White House was in Washington, D.C. That's good. 94% knew the Empire State Building is in New York. Same, you know, similar numbers for Times Square. It starts to get, you know, strong numbers still for things like Epcot. People know Epcot is in your hometown. Oh, Epcot is the best of the Disney parks. 78% know that Epcot is in Florida. Epcot is amazing. It is hands down the best of the Disney That's parks. That's not the rap on Epcot. I know it's not. I know it's not. That's why I'm I am like a a partisan about this very strongly. I think Epcot gets made fun of in a Simpsons episode yes, for yes. being like the really lame park. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're Epcotting wrong if you don't like it. <laughs> Epcot is amazing. Highly recommend. Here's my advice, guys. Only if you're over the age of twenty one, if you're an underage listener, don't do this. Yes. Start in Mexico mm. with a margarita. Or no, don't start in Mexico. End in Mexico. Start in Canada. Have a beer in Canada. Have a beer in the UK. Right. Next year in France. Split a wine flight with a friend. Right. Then I think next to France is Morocco. Okay. They have beer in Morocco. Um, Italy, split a wine flight or get a shot of limoncello. Then you get to America, have a beer, I guess. I think I'm just going to stay in France and Italy. Then, no, no, no. (laughs) Then you get to keep going. Then Japan. Saki Saki oh, flight, or you can get a you know Kieran. They've got beer there. Right. Then uh, China is is no. I've skipped. I've I've got the countries out of order. Oh shoot! Some listener is going to be like, Kristen, you got Morocco in the wrong order. Italy's on the other side. Um, Germany, you can mm-hmm. do beer or Jaeger, mm-hmm. or I think they have wine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, China beer, Norway. I don't know what's going on in Norway now because it's now the frozen ride. So. Oh, my God. I know. There's a frozen ride. <laughs> well, thankfully, my daughter doesn't listen to uh, the show. But then you wind up, I think, at that point at Mexico, or you can go get dinner and have a margarita if you can still stand up. Well, that does sound a lot more fun than the... Um, uh, you heard it here first, it. folks. Okay. No, that's good. That's good advice. So, you know, we try <laughs> to give you actionable <laughs> recommendations here. Um, but what... What people did not know, maybe they need to spend more time at Epcot, and maybe Epcot would help illuminate some of these things. But <laughs> people did not know, you know, well, 70% knew that Yellowstone resides in three states, so that's good. But only 57%, was that what it was, that said that they knew where the Grand Canyon I was. don't know if I would have been able to tell you the precise number of states that Yellowstone is in. I don't know I would have been able to tell you that either. I will confess ignorance on that. I mean, I could, like, if you gave me a map, I could, like, stick a pin in where I think Yellowstone is. Yeah, I think I would have gotten that wrong. Yeah. So we, so that's good. We're with the 30%. All right. I am the 30%. <laughs> but only 15%, uh, 15% have never visited a U.S. landmark or park. So get on it, folks. You have a couple weeks left. I guess the fall is still a good time. And maybe, you know, if the Freedom Caucus gets their way, they'll be able to shut down the federal government. You're going to have a hard time visiting some of those national parks. So that's just another reason to get moving. Um, So here's what we found. Um, Summer's almost over. You can binge listen to the pollsters at a national park uh, because you have only a few more months than perhaps – I don't know what this says. I knew that this would happen because <laughs> because you only have a few more months. Then, uh, oh, okay. Here's why: you need to go visit a national park 
because it may be only a few more months till we have the president change, maybe the Senate, and maybe the House. So you'll need to go. It's going to become Trump National Yellowstone. That's right. It's going to be very classy. <laughs> so go out, get some R&R before it gets really crazy. And trust the polls. Says who? The pollsters. <laughs> oh, my God. That's our new show ending. I know, right? We've got it. That's it. Trust the pollsters. Says who? The pollsters. Says who? The pollsters. Oh, we've been looking for a good show ending. Oh, I'm so it. excited. So where can you find us? You can find us at at the pollsters on Twitter or individually at at Margie O'Meara and at Casolta Sanderson at www.thepolsters.com. You can find our show notes. On Facebook, we'll post links to the show, uh, the topics that we might be talking about in upcoming weeks. Don't forget, you can always tweet at us. We love to hear from you, but we also love to read your great reviews. Um, so if you like our show, don't forget to give us five stars and let us know what you think. Um, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Um, we're so grateful for you listening to us, and we look forward to talking to you all next week. Great. Thanks. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.